one thing I do see a lot of is your Monday to Friday, I'm training every day, I'm significantly eating under what I need. And then the weekend, you know, I'm eating at home, I'm cooking. And then the weekend's the total opposite. I'm not moving. I'm out all the time. Well, potentially now that freedom's happening in in different parts of Australia, yay. (laughs) Drinks, you know, more relaxed eating. And so we've got this like higher energy output, lower energy intake. And then on the weekends, we've got higher energy intake, lower energy output. And just having that flow is not supporting optimal performance. It's nearly kind of teaching your body to be less effective at using things when it needs more and then better at potentially storing things or not being able to utilize things when you're wanting to because your your intake is actually higher. So I guess my messaging is thinking about your training and when you train and knowing that the more you move, the more you need to eat and supporting your body, like giving your body that. So, you know, if you're training for performance and, and whatever that is, that doesn't mean that, you know, trying to win an Olympic medal, that just might mean you're trying to be your fittest self that requires fuel on board. So, um, you know, I think just understanding the more you move, the more you need to eat and trying to kind of match that as closely as possible is, is going to be conducive to you living your best life. Welcome to The Balance Theory, a podcast aimed at arming you with tools and tips so that you are well equipped to not only identify and define, but own your own definition of balance. I'm your host, Erica, and thank you for joining me today. Hey, balancers, and welcome to episode 59 of The Balance Theory podcast. If this is your first time tuning in, a really warm welcome to you. If not, welcome back. I just wanted to start off by saying thank you to everybody who has reached out and shared their thoughts on last week's Monday Muse solo episode. I had a little feeling you guys were going to love the episode, but it's been overwhelming to see how many of you really connected with it on a deep level. So if you haven't had a chance to tune in, definitely pop that one on your list of things to listen to this week. And I would love to hear how it resonates with you or I guess what you take away from it the most. As for today's guest, I feel like our conversation came at a really key time. So in the last few weeks, I've been experiencing like, I'm sure you guys have felt this before too, a little bit of like a tired lull at the end of the day. It's kind of like my energy hasn't been sustained. It's just been like a really weird crash almost. And so if you're feeling that, or if you regularly feel that, That's one thing you're going to love about today's show. I am joined by Jess Spenlove, who is an advanced sports dietitian. She also practices, she's a co-founder of the Health and Performance Collective, which is her nutritional consulting business. And she also co-hosts the podcast, My Millennial Health, which I recommend you all go and check out. And I've popped a link to it in the show notes below. But basically, Jess and I have an awesome chat today about all things nutrition, how to utilize it and your diet to maximize performance as well as other key things like sleep. And as I just mentioned, a big, big one is maintaining energy throughout the whole day. So consistent energy. Within this, we go into a little chat about what the microbiome actually is and how we can look after it. Direct behaviors and foods that actually impact your level of performance and ones that can actually help it as well. So she shares a few eating behaviors and and I guess eating routines that are really helpful to sustaining that energy. We talk about why it's important to be intentional with when you eat. There's a little segment on hydrating and in fact, why hydration can be the number one key to helping future you. If you've recently had a hangover, I'm sure you'll connect with that one, but just in general as another booster in our nutritional regime. 
She shares a favorite topic of hers, which is why everyone should be starting their day with protein, how much protein is enough, and what does that amount actually look like. So she gives us some specific examples that I'm sure many of you are already incorporating into your diets. And ultimately, what you're going to learn today is how to live and perform at your best through your food and how to just really simplify it and make it easy and tangible. I learned so, so much out of our chat today. I'm actually going to have to have her back on next year to talk about other things like intermittent fasting and a couple other questions I didn't get around to. But get your notes ready to go because this has probably been one of my favorite episodes on diet and nutrition to date. So I know you guys are going to get a lot out of it. Feel free to take a screenshot and tag myself and Jess. I've popped both our Instagram handles in the show notes. Let us know what your biggest takeaways were. And as always, send this on to a loved one. Knowledge is only good when we share it. I can't wait to hear all of your thoughts. And just before we dive in, if you haven't had a chance to jump over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review and you're on the app right now, you can literally scroll to the bottom of all the episodes. Of course, not if you're driving, but if you're just sitting down or walking, just scroll down to the bottom of all the episodes and you should find the little stars there to leave your thoughts and rating. It would be most appreciated. And I always love seeing them come through. That's it from me, guys. Enjoy the show. This morning, I am joined by Jess Spenlove from My Millennial Health. Welcome to the Balance Theory Podcast. It's so nice to have you on this morning. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really looking forward to chatting all things health and nutrition uh, this morning with you all. Me too. I'm really excited to learn off you because This is an area I'm super passionate about. It's one I'm, you know, you can never know enough about and it's constantly changing area in your life. So one very important to constantly, I guess, be touching base with. So I guess just for our audience to get a feel for who you are and what you do, can you share a little bit about exactly that, who you are and what you do? Yeah, definitely. Uh, So I'm a a dietitian. So I'm an accredited practicing dietitian and an advanced sports dietitian. So basically that means I do all areas, clinical and sport. Um, To be honest, I've spent the last close to a decade pretty much working in professional sport, Um, but I'm in a bit of a a transition phase at the moment. I guess it's one of those things when you've done something consistently, it's time to kind of take that and, and transfer into other areas. I should definitely mention that I run a nutrition consultancy business health and performance collective. So my co-host from My Millennial Health, Chloe McLeod, is my business partner and everything we do is is under our health and performance collective umbrella. So essentially our purpose is helping motivated people live and perform at their best and that transfers across a range of different areas. So the way we kind of think about it, Chloe does a bit more of the health and I'm a bit more of the performance, but both speak to both. And, you know, our, our approach to nutrition is all about nutri- being uh, food being nutritious, being delicious, but being easy. So hopefully we can mm-hmm. cover off a lot of that today because I think with nutrition, the thing where people go wrong is they make it too complicated or they try and change too much. And, and the magic really is in what you do and then just and optimizing it, but making sure it's something that you can get on autopilot and just do. But um, yeah, we work, yeah, sport, corporate well-being. We do food industry. We do media. Um, we consult to businesses. So we do a range of different things, but it's all about that, you know, using food as a tool to live and perform at your best. So that's uh, that's kind of us in a nutshell. Love it. Great summary. And I'm so excited to dive into so many of those concepts. But one thing you just mentioned that I think is really key for a lot of people is eating well or eating healthily is complicated. It's too hard. It's something they don't understand. So I think simplifying it and and making it really accessible is such 
interesting work and such important work in the day we live in everyone's so busy you know just making it super accessible so that people can reach out peak performance or just have healthy lifestyles I think is so important so I'm keen to dive into it but I did want to ask you what is your kind of go-to really nutritious but very easy meal Oh, I have a few. I do love a, a salmon Buddha bowl. Um, I'm all about like a 10 or 15 minute meal. So probably my top kind of two or three go-to meals at the moment. I do like a salmon Buddha bowl, which salmon, soba noodles and different kind of salads. I love a burrito bowl as well. You'll see a theme. I, I seem to love things in bowls. I feel like they taste better. <laughs> There's something um, nice about it. It's like a hug, hugged in, hugged in a bowl or something. <laughs> it kind of is. Yeah. I love a burrito bowl as well. So whether it's like beef and beans or whether it's just beans I do a combination of the two and you know a bit of brown rice and then different kind of salads which suit and I also love um, like a tofu bowl so that kind of is my go-to lunch at the moment so a bit of firm tofu again whatever grain I'm kind of going for and then whatever whatever colors I've got in the fridge so I'll talk a bit about those theories today and and yeah I just I love making nutrition easy because food is something we all do we're it's an opportunity, you know, three, four, five times a day to elevate your life, elevate your energy. Um, and there's a few simple formulas, which I find transfer across the board, no matter who I'm talking to, children, elderly, professional athletes, um, and everyone in between, of course, different amounts, but there's some formulas that really do apply to everyone. Amazing. So I know you and Chloe both believe that good performance, as you've just said, can be enhanced through better nutrition. And I love really diving into high performance type discussions. And I think a big focus of that in our space, in the podcasting space is like a lot of mindset and your mental space. But I think food is such an opportunity because when we talk about supplements, people always run to, you know, the tablets or the protein powders and stuff like that. But food in itself is the best supplement we've got. And I think if we can like um, maximize that, which is something we have to do every single day anyway. That's so exciting to me. So firstly, my question is what foods are best to maximize performance? Yeah, great question. And I think with that, it's again, looking at the person and where they're starting from and where they're going. But for me, you know, I like to break things down into kind of four categories. I call them all the elements, which really is about looking at your macro and your micronutrients. So you've got your protein foods, which yes, people think about them from a, a recovery and a training point of view. But the most important thing about all of that is it's an appetite. It controls our appetite. The second thing, our whole grain carbohydrate foods. And I know we're going to kind of delve into some of these in more detail later on, but I want you to think of them not only as fuel for the body, but fuel for the mind and fuel for your gut microbiome. And fueling all of these areas is about elevating how you feel and perform and how your mood is on the day to day. So we My shouldn't third, be scared of carbs. <laughs> don't fear the carbs. No. And I think people's understanding of what carbohydrates are like people are like I'm not eating carbs, but then they might just be excluding one or two things. And, and like, it's definitely like not all carbs were created equally. So keyword high fiber, whole grain, um, our gut bugs really do love those. And, and they are uh, such a little powerhouse in terms of influencing how we feel and function and our health, both short and long-term. Uh, thirdly colors. So fruits and veggies, you know, Less than 8% of Australian adults eat enough of them and less than 5% of Australian children eat enough vegetables. So it might sound boring, it might sound basic, but most of us are not doing it. And again, thinking about how we feel, thinking about our immunity, thinking about this gut microbiome, which 
influences so much of really how we feel and function. They absolutely love all the colors, all the fiber and the diversity piece is key. And look, the last thing, healthy fats, um, you know, they kind of, fats is just kind of generally like doesn't get highlighted enough. And and I think, you know, when we're talking about a plate, they, they should be the smallest portion, but we shouldn't forget about them. You know, they help absorb certain nutrients like our fat soluble vitamins, our A, D, E and K. They also make food taste good, like thinking extra virgin olive oil on your colors, on your salad, like not only does it help you absorb and utilize certain nutrients better, it makes the food taste good. So I think when you're talking food for performance, there's the physical function of the nutrients, but it's also the enjoyment piece as well. Like we're not in a prison. We're not here trying to just survive and get through life. We're here to thrive and, you know, food is a social connection. It's an enjoyment piece. It's an opportunity, as I said, to elevate how you feel across the day. So for me, yeah, those four elements in, in certain ratios are, are really how you can start to do that. Yeah, I love that. And I, I love that you haven't necessarily given specific foods because I think that gives people the flexibility to then fill in those four categories however they choose to do so but hearing that olive oil is a gold star is music to my ears as an Italian so love that I'll be I'll be continuing my uh, daily salad habits but um you spoke a lot about the microbiome which I did I did want to ask you to maybe talk a little bit or share a little bit about what that actually is I know it's uh, got to do with the little bugs in our gut but a lot of listeners may not actually know what that is and why it's important to feed per se. Totally. So think about the gut microbiome as the environment of the gut. So the way Chloe and I like to speak about it, let's, you know, transfer ourselves to the Daintree. Um, Borders are opening now, so hopefully we can maybe get there soon. But you think (laughs) about this beautiful Daintree forest with all the different flora and fauna, like the different trees, the different species of animals, and think about it across the year that it actually changes season to season. So you, you want to think about your gut like that. The microbiome is definitely made up of things like bacteria and fungi and trillions of other organisms. If you actually extrapolate it in terms of a weight, it's about the weight of our brain, um, which is quite interesting because our gut and the little microbiome with the bacteria and the fungi, they're constantly talking to our brain. So the two are indirect and indirect communication 24-7. Is that why they call it the second brain? Yes, that's ex- yeah, exactly why. So it's like your enteric nervous system and then like again there's this kind of direct and indirect uh, communication like your biggest nerve in the body, the vagus nerve, lives in the gastrointestinal tract. So that's get a little bit nervous, you know, maybe you're getting on a podcast for the first time or you're presenting at work or you've got an important job interview and you get a little bit like, oh, I'm a bit nervy, I might need to go to the toilet. That's the biggest nerve in your gastrointestinal tract, the vagus nerve, having a party, telling your brain, I'm getting excited. Um, (laughs) And then, yes, similarly, like the bacteria, feasting off the food, producing like short-chain fatty acids, which then has a direct kind of communication with the brain. And um, yeah, there's so many different roles and hormone production and neurotransmitters and, and all of these things. But yeah, look, the long and the short of it, it's the environment of our gut. Yeah. And I guess that's that goes to the heart of why feeding our gut is important to how we feel, right? Because it will then have a flow on effect to all the things it produces in the, in and amongst that environment. Um, I love talking about the gut. We might go into it a little bit later if we have a little bit more time. But on the flip of 
I guess, what we can do to enhance performance. Are there any, um, so looking at that formula, that four, I guess, category formula you've got, are there any direct foods or eating habits that would uh, potentially thwart performance or not be conducive for performance? Yeah, definitely. So look, and this isn't about not enjoying you know, treat foods or whatever it is. Like I think it's whatever works for the person. The 80-20 gets thrown around, whether that, you know, works for you as a bit of a guide. But eating highly processed, refined foods um, uh, are going to impact performance in both that short and long term. So, you know, depending on the person, how you want to think about it, if it's in excess, because often these foods are not as filling, that might result in increased, you know, unhealthy weight, which then can have these chronic disease conditions. If we think about this microbiome that we just touched on, like the colors and the fiber, the good bacteria love that and feasting on that, they grow more and in abundance. Whereas we also have bad bacteria in our gut and coincidentally they love the refined sugars and the overly processed foods so the more of them we give the more of the the imbalance of that bacteria and that can result in like inflammatory conditions um and that kind of imbalance there which depending on the person um the other thing is that kind of short term like you eat a lot of these kind of overprocessed, um empty kind of nutrient meals and short term they might taste good but you know, immediately after you tend to crash and burn and you feel quite tired. So that's even just even in terms of like what it's doing to maybe like our blood sugar levels. And then we know that the more that they're kind of increasing and and crashing and burning, like if you think about our mood, our energy, our focus, that's all going to be impacted. So there are definitely types of foods, but I think also as well, one thing to call out is eating behaviors and eating routines. So Another thing that Chloe and I really like to talk about is finding the consistency and the inconsistency. So it's not saying eight o'clock I have breakfast every day, 12 o'clock lunch, three o'clock snack. That's unrealistic. Like we've got life, people have children, work meetings, things are all over the place. But if you can find a bit of a rhythm which works for you, so the consistency being you have a little bit of a structure the inconsistency being life and then just knowing how to adjust to that. So, you know, the classic example is potentially a meeting running over at lunchtime and potentially someone's had breakfast or no breakfast and next minute it's two or three o'clock in the afternoon and then they have a big lunch and then they kind of kickstarts their, their hunger and they're snacking all afternoon. So that's not conducive to performing at your best and that's also going to potentially be counterproductive for other things like you know weight management and that as well so just having a bit of an agile approach so the thing I would say there is like can we move that afternoon snack to maybe just before the meeting and then we push lunch back so we bridge the gap between when we've eaten and there's so many positives to doing something like that yeah absolutely and that fits so nicely with I guess what we're trying to do here on the balance theory which is not to uh, promote this one standard like this is how you get balance for example it, it really always every time I have someone on whether we're talking about um, mental health or relationships or work kind of career driven stuff it always comes down to flexibility and really just trying out what works for you and that often involves every day sitting down and going all right what does my balance look like today so that could be very intentional with your meals and your eating times I, I think 
And I mean, I've spoken about this time and time again on the podcast, but I did go through a bit of a phase where I was calorie counting and I was very strict with my snacks, my meals. I, would, I was trying out intermittent fasting, you know, and it doesn't leave room for life to happen. And I love this saying that your um, lifestyle shouldn't fit into a diet. The diet should fit your lifestyle. So I think what you just said, like being consistent in and amongst the inconsistency is a really beautiful way. Just give people back that power to say, okay, you may not get it perfect every single day. It may not be identical, but that's sort of a given, given that every day is not identical. So I think that's a really beautiful way to empower people, I guess, to reclaim that. But I also like how you haven't specifically demonized particular foods. I think there are categories of foods, say, like you said, like really um, high processed foods, but ultimately like those foods can be quite enjoyable. And you did say before, like food is a social thing. So I think for anyone listening, if you know, if you have that bowl of pasta at one o'clock on a Wednesday, you're not getting anything done that afternoon. Maybe it's about just being intentional with when you do dabble in and enjoy those foods, just knowing. And I think being aware of how they um, impact on your body. And I guess having this conversation now, you can kind of go a little bit deeper and go, okay, how is this impacting my gut microbiome? How is it changing the energy flows in my body through my blood sugar levels or whatever it is? Like that just kind of gives you a little bit more, um, I guess, knowledge when you're being intentional with those decisions. So I really love that you haven't actually been explicit with foods or demonized or, or categorized things as like good and bad, because I think we can often fall into that trap. So I really, um, I'm really on board with everything you're saying. And I know everyone's going to get a lot out of it because I'm getting a lot out of it as well. Um, but yeah, is there anything else you wanted to add, I guess, to that fueling high performance or uh, negating high performance before we kind of move on to the next section? Yeah, uh, one thing I want to say is the key word, and, and I haven't said it, but you have, is being intentional. If you are being intentional in what you do, and sometimes that's just sitting down at the start of the day and looking at the calendar and mapping things out, it's kind of like the same as a budget. You're mm -hmm. not going to save for a house if you don't have a budget and an automated savings plan. So being intentional, like a bit of a guide at the start of the week, it's not a strict meal plan. It's just, what am I doing? What am I buying? But look, in answer to your question, other than just kind of adding that in, one thing I do see a lot of is your Monday to Friday, I'm training every day, I'm significantly eating under what I need and then the weekend, you know, I'm eating at home, I'm cooking and then the weekend's the total opposite. I'm not moving, I'm out all the time or well, potentially now that freedom's happening in, in different parts of Australia, yay, <laughs> drinks, you know, more relaxed eating and so we've got this like higher energy output, lower energy intake and then on the weekends, we've got higher energy intake, lower energy output. And just having that flow is not supporting optimal performance. It's nearly kind mm -hmm. of teaching your body to be less effective at using things when it needs more and then better at potentially storing things or not being able to utilize things when you're wanting to because your, your intake is actually higher. So I guess my messaging is thinking about you're training and when you train and knowing that the more you move, the more you need to eat and supporting your body, like giving your body that. So the whole fasted, um, intermittent fasting or fasted training, it's probably a topic for another day, but <laughs> you know, if you're training for performance and, and whatever that is, that doesn't mean that, you know, trying to win an Olympic medal, that just might mean you're trying to be your fittest self that requires fuel on board. So um, you know, I think just understanding the more you move, the more you need to eat and trying to kind of match that as mm. closely as possible is is going to be conducive to you living your best life. Yeah, absolutely. And I may slightly raise my hand in the past to say that that 
you know, it was me Monday to Friday, I'm clean and weekends, I let it go. But it wasn't like a full blown every meal, let it go. And granted, I was still kind of moving. But for anyone sort of listening that that's really hit home, what do you think is a simple thing they can do to start changing that pattern? Let's call it like an 80-20 rule because I feel like that kind of fits in that basket. I think the first thing like through the week, like still eat well. I'm definitely not saying I don't want you to do that. But if you say are doing like a an intense training session and you're maybe starting that session fasted and then maybe you're thinking, oh my God, I need to do intermittent fasting after my training session and you're waiting to lunch. Like, no, like put your breakfast close to your training session, you know, close to your 20 grams of protein, a couple of eggs, your Greek yogurt, maybe if you're plant-based, like a, a smoothie with a plant-based protein powder, get your carbohydrates in because you've just trained your muscles have used glycogen. You need to replace them. Uh, oats, whole grain toast, sourdough, like so many beautiful options there. I'm getting Get hungry. your fruit in. I, know. <laughs> I just had my breakfast before I got on, so I was all fresh <laughs> and high vibe. Um, and then I guess similarly, you know, on the weekend, it's not about not eating out, but, you know, maybe if you've got a lot of social activities, like could you have – breakfast at home and just a coffee out or if you're getting your breakfast maybe just get some poached eggs and veggies rather than an eggs benedict or something like that and you know if you're going out for dinner like and you're doing the pizza and pasta like great enjoy that have that but can we get a little side salad so we've still got that color component so it's starting to Mm. offset and you know thinking about alcohol I'm definitely not against um drinking alcohol at all but I think what you do drink is a massive factor as well. So yes, all you know forms of, of alcohol are going to have ethanol in them, which we do need to consider. But you know, even just like a, a vodka and soda or a gin and soda versus a gin and tonic or a, a sugary cocktail, like even just being smarter with your choices. And um, I'm a big believer in the power of hydration, like which we haven't even touched on at all, but just feeling your best on the day-to-day. But if you're thinking – you know, for me, one of my other philosophies is like I'm all about having it all. Like I want to eat well, train well, but I want to have fun and enjoy my life as well. And I promise you hydration on the weekend, whether you are out and about with friends or whether you're having a night out or whether you're just sitting at home, it's kind of something people forget about. So mm. in whatever way, shape or form, staying on top of your hydration will will help um, will help pay dividends there as well. And, you know, if you've had a night out and you had a few more drinks than you should have, like, just get back into it the next day. Get up, move, eat well. I think it's like it's when that cycle, it's the three. It's like, you know, the eating, the drinking and the moving and it's mm. kind of like you can kind of get away with one but then it's just when the, the domino effect falls. You have a big night out, you eat poor choices the next day and then you don't move and then you're often like in that cycle of continuing to not feel great whereas, you know, have fun, do whatever you want to do but make good food choices the next day, get up and move, get back, you know, drink your water, eat your greens, eat your good proteins and just kind of get back into routine. Don't let one meal or one kind of night out turn into like a two or three days of poor choices. It's just, you know, get back into the cycle of the good stuff. Yeah, absolutely. And love what you said about hydration. I'm that kind of person that's always lugging around like a one, two liter, just can't go anywhere without it. So (laughs) I feel, yeah, everybody needs to hydrate, even especially after a night out. And I've actually got the funniest story when I was in um, Europe, you know, one of my 
younger European summer holidays, you know how over there you have to buy water. Like you can't really just get tap water like you do at like the bars and stuff here. We would just order like vodka waters because we're like, great, we'll just pay for one and get get kind of like a double whammy. And we were just hydrated the whole night, like flying through. I was probably like 19. So like obviously could handle a little bit more, but yeah, vodka waters. But the message there is just stay hydrated guys. <laughs> but that was a, a great idea on our, on our part, I think. I think I learned something oh, that night. <laughs> future you, I'm telling you, I have this conversation with like my guy friends all the time because I feel like I know we're tangenting here a little bit guys, but I, boys just sit there drinking beer most of the time and they just very rarely drink water whereas like my girlfriends might whatever like their vodka or the wine and they're drinking water and it I'm telling you it will just help future you the next day (laughs) it's such a basic tip but honestly that does speak for like just day to day I think most people would be like maybe not dehydrated but semi-dehydrated because 50% of the adult human body or slightly more is made up of water so when you actually think about it like that you know, every single cell, every single cellular function, every single pathway, you know, your mental focus, your physical focus. We did an episode with an optometrist the other week, like even like, you know, dryness of your eyes, every single system, your skin is impacted by your hydration. And it's something so simple, just having on your radar, again, this intentionality, um, have your bottle with you. You know, I'm sitting here with my, my bottle of water as well. If it's just, (laughs) if it's in reach, um, and if it's something that you're not good at, like, again, use your calendar, put your little reminders in or, or, you know, every meal you're having, have a glass, like whatever it is, just habit hack yourself to put it on your radar and to improve, um, yeah. just small little incremental steps, which pay these massive dividends in the long run. Yeah, absolutely. And if you're service-based, you could just do like commit to like a big gulp in between clients. But on that note, how much is enough? How much water should everybody be drinking minimum? Look, guidelines are a good place to start, even though everyone is an individual and definitely activity levels and sweat rate. But uh, guidelines, females 2.1 litres, males 2.6. If you're pregnant or breastfeeding, it's slightly more because hydration requirements, but at least using that as a foundation. So I guess that's where that two litre recommendation comes in. If you Mm. at least start around there and, um, yeah, ideally dial it up a little bit. Also time of year, like... We're coming into summer, yay, but um, we also do need a little bit more there as well because generally we're sweating a bit more and we're out and about a bit more. Yep, absolutely. Now, I know a lot of what we've spoken about is probably going to cover this answer, um, but I did want to ask you, how would you describe a balanced diet if it's anything you haven't already said? Yeah, probably the main thing I haven't said. So we've got all the elements, the four, um, you know, your carbs, whole grain, high fiber carbs, your proteins, your colors and your healthy fats and each meal and most snacks should actually have that formula. So I think snacks are where people don't pay that much attention. They just tend to not think about it or not factor them in. So if you can kind of have like a representative from each of those groups at meals and, you know, at least like your protein and your fiber and your color at snacks. But then the other thing I'll say to that is probably just your ratios. So, you know, having a consistency ideally as as close to as possible across the day and it should look somewhere between so say for maybe like a female or someone who's not so active or maybe they want to shift a little bit of body weight a quarter protein, a quarter high fiber carbs and half color up to about a third protein, a third high fiber whole grains and a third color. So if you're plating your plate somewhere in 
those ranges, topping it with a little bit of your healthy fats to, to get all those four elements, a bit of avocado, nuts and seeds, extra virgin olive oil. If you use that formula breakfast, lunch, dinner consistently, kind of regardless of what you're eating. So again, thinking like I'm going out, we're out of lockdown, bit of freedom or it's Christmas time and we're extra social. That's how you can have it all if you follow that framework as closely as possible. So you get the color on the side, you know, your protein, make sure it's there. Um, That's the nutrient that fills us up. It's so incredibly important to front foot the day with a bit of bit of protein which I think we're going to speak on a little bit more but um yeah that formula I'm telling you it's uh it's a game changer to to you living your best life and having a balanced approach but not missing out or not feeling like you've got to deprive yourself yeah incredible I'm looking forward to really applying that to every meal like even down to the snack element um, but I did want to ask you, so I know there's tests you can do to, I guess, work out where, you, where your gut microbiome is sitting, like what bacteria are in there. But if someone's just listening and they start implementing this moving forward, how quickly could they turn around and kind of balance out their, their gut microbiome? Or is this a little bit of a stretch question because it really just depends if there are other cofactor like issues going on? Yeah. Yes to all of those. So yes, it does. <laughs> yes, it does depend. Yes, there are tests. They're starting to become a bit more like available and commercialized. But honestly, the, the best tip in this microbiome space, I, I know I've touched on eating more colors, but one thing I haven't kind of dived into a bit more is the diversity. So the American Gut Project is um, a really significant landmark study, which um, has kind of led the, the field in the gut microbiome space. And they controlled for a number of factors and what they found is that people with better health outcomes, better gut health, better microbiome um, had a higher intake of plants across the week. So the magic number was 30 um, and there's your six different categories for your plant group. So there's your whole grains, there's your fruits, your veggies, your lentils and your legumes, your nuts and also your seeds. So, you know, having that on your radar And the other thing I'll caveat that by saying is when I tell people 30 different types, they kind of think, oh my goodness, that sounds so (laughs) much. But if you just look for little simple swaps, you know, for example, a a brown rice or a basmati rice cup and you swap it for one with like four grains, you've gone from one to four different Mm. plants there. Or if you've got your berries and rather than just having blueberries, which are amazing, like you go a mixed berry. So again, it's these little simple swaps. So even just having that on your radar and starting to maybe track that. But the other thing I just want to also highlight is making changes to your diet, particularly for your gut health, often involves eating more fiber. And I really want you to think about this the same as if you were to start going to the gym for the first time. So you've never walked into the gym, you've never lifted a weight, but you want to go bench press 100 kilos. Great great goal, but we're going to edge our way to that. So the same as you go through your training program for weeks, if not months, if not years to get to that, it's the same with your nutrition. So this is the thing I think people don't apply the same theory. They just think I'm motivated. This is amazing information. I'm doing it all. I'm going to change. First of all, unsustainable. Second of all, our little gut microbiome need to adjust to this as well. So the great thing is your microbiome can actually start to shift within a matter of five days. So they've Mm -hmm. done tests and they've seen that shifts for the good or not so good can happen in that kind of five-day mark. So if you just go from zero to 100 with, you know, not much fibre to a lot of fibre, 
you don't actually have the capacity to, 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 for your microbiome to tolerate that and you might actually feel not very good. So mm. same approach. We've got our training program for our gym where we're going to go bench press 100 kilos. We're just going to slowly start to titrate in a little bit more fiber. You know, maybe you go from white bread to multigrain bread or you go from basmati rice to a mixed grain rice cup so little simple swaps to start to to train it so yeah look I don't know if I exactly answered the question there but it's a lot of it is how you feel small incremental steps you don't necessarily need to go and get tested but know that it is an ever-changing environment which Mm. will shift and you know it's the dane tree it's impacted by the weather what else is going on what's available it literally is an ever-changing environment constantly No, no, you definitely answered it. And I love the analogy because you're so right. We really don't approach changes to our diet and nutrition the same way we would other changes in our life. We kind of just expect this. All right, let's just snap in. We're on like health mode now. This from Monday, we're going to be healthy AF. And then, you know, all it takes is one bad meal. Well, I'll stuff that. Like, I'll just have to start next month or something like that. So I always like taking that approach too. like just this week. Can you just sub out the snacks or just start with the toast in the morning, you know, and then every week as that starts to feel good, then you start to add on. So I really love that you've um, brought that in, but you did not in this answer, the one before you did um, chat about starting the day with protein. And just by the way, for anyone who really liked that segment about like um, swaps for food, I know um, yourself and Chloe did an episode was it in the Q&A or was it a separate episode I can't remember which one I listened to but you guys did answer that in depth and you spoke a lot about the gut so I'll pop a link to that in the show notes below too so everyone can check it out um, but back on track so you did mention starting the day with protein which I found really interesting because until I was consciously doing that it wasn't something I necessarily may have done so can you talk to me a little bit about why that's important and if that's the case whether you're moving or not in the morning I love talking about this. I there's a few there's a few things I wish people knew and did. And if I had a top three, this would 100% sit in there. It will literally change your life. And it may not you may not feel it in the morning, but what I'm talking about is the flow on effect. You know, the people that I like to work with and the people that come to see me are generally, like I said, motivated. Is it, like I do strategically use that word, but. It's not just about starting your day and then crashing and burning and falling off a cliff. It's about starting your day and sustaining how you feel across the day from an energy point of view. So the thing with protein is it is our number one nutrient for appetite control. And what we know is that most people eat enough across the day. We tend to eat a lot at lunch and a lot at dinner, typical westernized diet. We don't actually tend to eat much at breakfast and at snacks, which Again, when I've come up with this, my elements and, and the plate model is really to help spread that out. So the thing with starting your protein in the morning is it helps buffer your appetite across the day. It helps fill you up because what a lot of people are used to, you know, we've lived our lives eating and doing things that we've always done. But I guarantee that for someone, they're either over snacking in the afternoon Dinner might be massive, you know, double or triple the size of lunch and dinner, or lunch and breakfast. Um, maybe it's the sweet treats after dinner. Uh, different people, different things, or maybe it's just an energy crash and burn in the afternoon. If you start that day with, you know, depends on the person, but I'd say at least 10 to 15 grams. If you're active, you do want more around that 20 grams, which 
I'll give some examples of what that looks like in a second, but starting your day and getting kind of those three to four or five hits of that across the day will just help enable, manage your appetite, which will help manage your food choices, which when you're eating more consistently with this consistent intake will help fuel you across the day, which will help you feel good physically, mentally from a mood. It it just, it's this flow on effect. So it's kind of like the, you know, you're helping future you later in the day if you want to think mm. about it like that. And if it's something you've never done, it's 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 going to take a little bit of a while to shift. And the other thing is, as I kind of mentioned, like we've eaten how we've eaten our whole lives. So it's not just physically what we need to eat. It's psychologically and habitually to what we're used to eating. But I promise within a matter of like two or three days, whatever, whatever your thing might be, the energy crash and burn in the afternoon, the kind of snacking and ravenous hunger in the afternoon or after dinner or the sweet cravings, they will start to dissipate and it's because you've front-footed your day. So um, when when I talk about protein, I should call out it's not just, you know, animal like sources, it's also plant sources as well. So however you choose to eat or want to eat, you know, preferably a variety if you do eat both um, or if you're plant-based, totally fine, but you do really want to drill down on, like I said, for most people at least 10 to 15 um, but if you're active, that 20 is that kind of magical minimum number you want to aim for just because it's not only doing the appetite side of things, it's also supporting, you know, recovery and, and yeah. muscle protein synthesis and, and that side of things as well. Awesome. So what does that actually look like? Can you give us some examples of what that 15 yes. to 20 grams looks like the first thing in the morning? Totally. So um, it might be like two to three eggs. Um, it might be a tub of Greek yogurt. It might be a, a cup of soy milk with, uh, if you eat Greek yogurt, you know, a couple of tablespoons. It might be a scoop of um, plant-based protein powder, like 30 grams. Um, it might be like some smoked salmon so or some turkey. Um, yeah, there's some of the kind of common ones. So like you might do your avocado on toast and top it with you know, some smoked salmon or a couple of eggs. Um, it might be the, you know, if you, you're a muesli person, having your cows or your soy milk, which are much higher in protein and then topping it with, yeah, either some, some protein powder or some Greek yogurt, um, something like that. Beautiful. And there are a lot of apps where you can actually just plug in the foods just if you're not sure like what the grams actually look like physically, you can just plug that in and I guess it'll tell you or you can just get scales and stuff. Um, but that's that's a really cool tip to sort of start the day, like kind of fuel that hunger first thing in the morning and then like let it manage throughout the day. So I love that. But I'd love to go full circle now and talk about sleep. So I know we spoke um, briefly before the podcast as well. We were chatting about in emails, how to eat yourself to sleep, which I think is a really interesting concept. And to be honest, I've never thought about how nutrition specifically can impact my sleep. I kind of always saw it as this is how it's going to fuel me throughout the day. And I have a very surface level understanding of, okay, my microbiome is being filled and that's doing its thing, autophagy overnight, that kind of stuff. Um, But can you talk to me a little bit about how we can actually utilize nutrition when it comes to our sleep end of day? Yeah, I love this. It's like my two favorite topics combined. Um, uh, I guess, first of all, eating behaviors can definitely influence sleep. So again, thinking about this spread of intake across the day, like if you're someone who 
doesn't have breakfast or minimal breakfast and most of your food is at the back end of the day. We do know that um, eating close to bed can impact what we call like our sleep hygiene or our ability to get to sleep. So there is a little bit of kind of theory around that, you know, spreading your intake out to support that. Um, and the is second there a, thing I, sorry, yeah. just ask you quickly, is there like a window where we shouldn't be eating before we sleep? Is there like a golden rule or anything like that? It's two to three hours for a meal. But I will caveat that by saying I do see a lot of athletes and active people who um, might be working and then they're training after work or maybe they're like they've got a competition, um, this kind of sub-elite level and they're playing like a game of netball or touch like 8, 8.30 at night. So mm. with those people um, that kind of rule is negated because then they need to obviously replace what they've they've. Um, used and yeah yeah exactly to to help recover but also to help sleep because the other thing and I do see this a lot people waking up throughout the night because they haven't eaten enough across the day so if you're someone that's waking up regularly or you're hungry throughout the night that's your body's way of telling you that you also haven't eaten enough across the day so um, how you eat can impact it uh, I guess the amount that you eat both too much and not enough but then drilling down into some actual specific foods um unfortunately caffeine and alcohol can impact sleep so we do know that alcohol impacts our ability to get into a deep sleep so that can be often why we fall asleep quickly because it increases like sleep latency or ability to fall asleep but because we're metabolizing ethanol in our liver it does prevent us from getting into that really deep rested sleep um, caffeine, look, I, I'm quite pro caffeine for a few reasons, but different people metabolize it differently. And it definitely is a central nervous system stimulant. It sticks around for a number of hours. So being mindful about what you drink and when you, you drink it. And, mm-hmm. you know, we haven't even touched on that, but this it, drinking more water and eating more protein across the day and more colors. Like if you're someone that's relying on caffeine and you start to do that, you might actually find what well, you should find that your energy is improved and, and you're not needing to do that as often as well, which is such a positive. May not um, need that 3 p.m. double shot. hundred <laughs> percent. I'll put money on it. Um, <laughs> and then look, there's some really kind of cool, like tryptophan is an amino acid, um, which has a really like, big role in our ability to get to sleep it helps produce melatonin and serotonin which are both really important for getting to sleep and staying asleep so some of our foods which are high in in tryptophan are like our cow's milk um, and our greek yogurt um, bananas are, are quite high in serotonin so they can be a good option uh, we've got tart cherries as well, which have some really cool like antioxidants, which they have a role in athletic performance, but they also have a role in producing melatonin, um, almonds and fatty fish as well. So, you know, if we think about maybe what you could have, like if you're someone that has a snack before bed, Greek yogurt with some berries and some nuts, the perfect kind of sleep promoting nutrient satisfying option, or maybe a smoothie or again, like for most people, dinner should be enough. So if you've got that, all the elements and you've got some uh, some salmon or whatever protein you're having, you've got some high fiber whole grains and you've got lots of colors, it's, it's speaking to a lot of these areas. Like I know it's a really simplified way of saying it, but whatever angle you want to take, you know, again, thinking about this optometrist I interviewed recently and there was so much about that which speaks to benefiting your eye health and with this there's so much of this which speaks to helping aid in sleep so 
while I give a really simplified message, if you really want to drill down into the different areas, it does kind of to speak to all of them, which helps simplify just knowing, okay, if I've got all my elements and these are the ratios and I'm doing this pretty consistently, you can have, I guess, um, confidence in knowing that it's speaking to so many areas of your health so yeah yeah absolutely but love that love that food can help us sleep better <laughs> oh me too it's, it's amazing when you think about how um across the board nutrition can be and, and sometimes we look at it so like as a single dimension but i love that um you know those you can have particular things that will help aid your sleep i have heard and correct uh, correct me if if I'm wrong. Someone told me, and this is like no scientific basis at all, but apparently like having a bit of avocado before you sleep is conducive to like dreaming. I don't know if that's got any link to do with like the high fat. Um, is there any source of truth in that in your world? Oh, I don't know. I might have to go and like have a bit of a read, but um, I mean, it makes sense to have a little bit of like a higher fat food before bed, like again, like satisfying. So while proteins are uh, the most satiating nutrient fat is really important as well and levels out our blood sugar levels. I don't know specifically, I can't speak specifically for avocado, <laughs> but it is a great food. So, um, you know, give it a go. <laughs> there you go. A bit of olive oil, just tick all the boxes just before you go to bed. <laughs> see on a whole grain cracker, whole grains, Done. fats, beautiful. We love it. Dietitian's Color. dream come true. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. Alrighty. Well, I have learned so, so much from you today. So I just want to thank you so much for your time. I know our listeners would have gotten a lot out of it as well. So a big thank you um, on behalf of all of them as well. If they do want to connect with you and your practice and your podcast a little bit further, where's the easiest place they can do so? Yeah, thanks, Eric. I really appreciated um, being on here today and sharing lots of my tips and tricks. Uh, best place to connect with me, social media. So Jess underscore Spendlove underscore dietitian. My business is health underscore performance underscore collective. Um, I'm sure you'll track down our websites pretty easily with, with those. And um, if you're interested, yeah, My Millennial Health is our podcast. We've just wrapped season two, but there are a bunch of gut health and microbiome and um you know we had Simon Hill on and interviewed him and the gut health MD and yeah there's a bunch of episodes there which you might be interested in so uh we'd love for you to go along and check those out so thank you so much for having me on here today you're welcome and as a fellow listener I can say there's a lot of um great great education and knowledge and resources in that so I'll pop links to all your socials your website and your podcast below Thank you so much for spending this morning with me and I can't wait to see what comes for you guys in the next year or so. Likewise. Thanks so much, Erica. And that's a wrap for this week, Balancers. Thank you so much for tuning in. I hope you found this episode useful to some degree in either steering or determining your definition of balance today. As always, the biggest compliment for us is if you share this episode with someone who you feel might need it, or if you're on Spotify, you can click follow or on Apple Podcasts, you can leave a rating or review. If you have any suggestions for up and coming podcasts, feel free to shoot us a DM or an email. Our Instagram is at the balance theory and our email is the balance theory podcast at gmail.com. Otherwise you've always got the option of subscribing to our mailing list. We only send you email reminders when the episodes drop. So you get them fresh out of the oven. No annoying spam. We promise. I hope you enjoy the rest of your week and until next time, stay balanced. Stop, 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 stop.